Hello and welcome to this podcast series in which we explore the other ethnic identities in London, especially within the equality and diversity monitoring forms and the national statistics. Over the following 10 episodes, we will create a space for immigrants and members of the other ethnic groups to share our voices, developing a sense of community and belonging. My name is JC Candanido. And I'm Sanya Abdurrahman. And, and this, this is, is the, the other checkbox. Hello everyone and welcome back to another new episode of The Other Checkbox, a podcast that was born from our continuous conversation and debates on identity and not feeling represented or belonging, where we'll be interviewing individuals to share their stories, insight and experience, and together we will explore the other ethnic identities in London. In today's episode, we will discuss how to keep your identity in the diaspora and how does that affect your sense of belonging. Our guest is Chantal Olivia Miller, a filmmaker and broadcast journalist and social and creative entrepreneur who will be sharing with us her insight and lived experience. She's also the founder of Island Girls Rock, a non-profit initiative celebrating women of Caribbean heritage in the UK. Thank you so much, Chantal, for being here with us today. May you please introduce yourself and your identity. Hi, thank you for having me, guys. I love being here. I am, as you said, JC, I'm Chantal Olivia Miller. I am of Jamaican and Nivision heritage. So my biological father is Jamaican and my mom is Nivision. I was born here in the UK, left when I was 11, spent most of those formative years in the Caribbean um, and then made the decision almost 20 years ago that I wanted to experience after traveling between the States and the Caribbean, that I wanted to experience the UK as an adult. And I can't believe it's almost 20 years ago in a few weeks. That's mad. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, it's, thanks so much for sharing. It's amazing that you got to travel as well and live in different countries. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to ask you, do you feel represented in the diversity and inclusion forms or any industry specifically in the UK? You know what, Sandy, I, do I feel included? I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's really difficult because I feel boxes are so constrictive, right? Um, and you know, you see the box Afro-Caribbean and you're like, okay, well, that, that kind of summarizes who I am. But it's, in terms of identity, the Afro-Caribbean experience is so nuanced, you know? We have the legacy of so many different cultures that make us so vibrant and varied and interesting and complex, you know? Um, but I guess, you know, if, if we're gonna tick a box, I guess I'll tick that. But in a sense, it's, it's almost as if that box then eliminates quite a little bit of my heritage. But then, because being of Caribbean descent, we are, you know, we're mixed. We're mixed. You know, um, my great-grandmother was Indo-Caribbean. My grandfather, my Jamaican grandfather is I guess you would say European Caribbean. I don't even know if that's a phrase. I have no idea. They make up these things as they go along. So I'll just join. 
<laughs> I'll join in, you know. <laughs> um, but of course, primarily, you know, I am a descendant of the continent of Africa, you know, more than likely. Well, I know for a fact that my great, 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 great grandmother, Rebecca, um, was from Nigeria. So, and she was a slave that was brought to Nevis. Um, then she moved to, well, she was taken to Antigua. She was acquired, um, then had children and then sent those children back to Nevis, interestingly. And we don't know why she made that decision, but she did. Um, and then, yeah, many, many decades later, I guess I appeared but I am a, a result of all of these stories. So I don't know if Afro-Caribbean summarizes correctly who I am, but that's the box that I choose to check. And it's precisely all these experiences that you mentioned that uh, sort of like inspired this whole project that Sandy and mm -hmm. I are doing, because it is that feeling of really not knowing where to take, like, should I take in this uh, box? Should I take in the other? I end up taking in the mixed other, which I know is like this yeah. box where we're all put in those of us who don't feel represented. So it's, okay. it's very, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And it also changes from country to country and, and mm -hmm. everyone, you know, has a different experience with them. Do you think that this mixed feeling of being represented in those um, forms, but at the same time, not really knowing is if that is where you need to take do you think that that has some sort of impact in your life? Um, I have to think about that. You know, I, I would say actually it used to. It absolutely used to when I was much younger. Um, but I think because of my exploring a lot of these topics and exploring myself and coming to more of an understanding of who I feel I am and where I most resonate, um, it doesn't bother me that much. Um, And I, I, there's work, there's work that I've done, you know, for myself and for my community. And it's taken a while. Um, but I, yeah, I no longer am that bothered by those things, by people trying to tell me who I am, tell me where I fit in. You know, I know who I am. I am a Caribbean woman. I, that's who I am. It doesn't matter where I was born. That is who I am. That is who I choose to be. That is who I identify with. That is my culture. That is my heritage. And I know, I know all the different strands of my story that come together to make me who I am. And I acknowledge and accept them and actually love them all. So yes, Africa is 100% prominent in the way that I look, in, in the foods that I cook. Um, in what I connect to spiritually, but also, you know, there's a little bit of that Irish blood in me. And I also acknowledge that, do you know what I'm saying? So, and you know, it's, it's a minute part of who I am, but I actually love that my, my great-grandfather comes from Cork in Ireland. I, and I, I have read up on my family, you know, my, for much of my childhood, I actually carried my grandfather's name, which is Roach. Right? Yeah, I, I carried my grandfather's name. So there are people in Leeds that know me as Chantal Roach. <laughs> so you have many, many identities, but that I, is so enriching. Yeah. 
well, yeah. this is this is amazing, Chantal, and and just for for you to share as well, like how you looked at your family and like read mm. so much about your family history. So I wanna, and I, I know that you mentioned like you identify as a Caribbean woman, mm. but um, does that does that ethnic identity affect your sense of belonging to a community? Because you belong mm. to a lot of communities. <laughs> um, does it? it it does, because I'm very intentional. Um, when I lived many, many moons ago, when I moved to New York, I intentionally sought out the Caribbean community because I wanted to feel at home. I wanted to feel my community, that, that belonging. I wanted things and craved things that were familiar. So I very intentionally, you know, would go into Brooklyn, Flatbush Avenue, and look for my foods and look for my restaurants and search for my music, even sometimes just to be surrounded by the different accents, you know, and the colors of the Caribbean in the midst of this, you know, concrete jungle, you know, as Bob Marley says, concrete jungle. So looking for us, looking for the signs, the, the sights and the sounds. And then later on in life, when I moved back to England and made the decision not to go back to the city where I grew up, which is Leeds, um, but instead um, moved to London even before I came. I was researching, I was like, okay, Brixton, <laughs> you know, okay, mm -hmm, that's where I need to go, da, da, da. And I remember it was just a few months um, after I moved, I had decided to go back to university. And I very, you know, I'm very intentional. Um, and I was like, right, so, I'm going to look for a mentor. And I remember emailing um, DJ Martin J at the time who was helming um, this program called the Caribbean Affair at Choice FM. And I said, look, yeah, so I've kind of just arrived. I've been here a few months. I'm looking for a mentor. I, I'm studying film and media and I really would love to be your intern. And I said, and also your show has gotten me through the darkest winter nights on a Sunday when I tune in to Choice FM, to the Caribbean Affair, and I hear Martin Jay's accent, and I hear soca and reggae and zouk and comba and all these things, compa, sorry, and all these things that remind me of home and lets me know that even though I may not physically be on that island, that I can feel that energy wherever I go by seeking out my community, Martin Jay got back to me within, I want to say 30 seconds flat. He's like, yeah, man, absolutely. Come through next week. The most casual way of saying yes to an intern, come through next week. You know, here's the address for the radio station. And I have to say, you know, thanks to Martin, that the, the feelings, the waves of loneliness that I had been feeling um, slowly went away. You know, because not only was I his intern at Choice FM, but he introduced me to his family and he pointed me in the right direction for things that he thought I would be interested in. And so for me, having that connection, you know, helped me so much. And I feel that perhaps is one of the reasons why I did decide to start Island Girls Rock, because I'm like, you know, when girls and women are, are displaced from their homes, you know, where is their community? How do they find it? Where's that, that almost, you know, when you're at the lighthouse and you're looking for that, that beam of lights, you know, where can they go? 
And so that is in a way what drove me to also create Island Girls Rock so that we can find ourselves no matter where we are. That is so beautiful, Chantal, and those words. I think that we, may, we have to make them the slogan of today's episode. <laughs> it is so beautiful and it is so important and people who don't have this experience like the, the, like the one that the three of us and hopefully most of the listeners of this podcast have of um, representation of, you know, the important work that the DJ that you mentioned was doing with his, with his program, the important work that you are doing with your organization. And, and I feel that the work that Sandy and I are doing with this podcast is showing that we exist, we're here and other people like us can see that, that there are people like them as well that go through these experiences. It is so, so important. And, and I think that by exploring this, uh, this, this topic specifically in this diversity and monitoring forms of the absence of some identities or the overrepresentation of others, it will be really helpful also for, uh, for people in the future. And going back to that, I wanted to ask you if you feel like these forms are any useful and if they are or, or aren't, why? I mean, I guess they're useful to the people that have created them, right? Um, but I find them quite divisive almost. Um, you know, asking me to separate myself from, you know, I have to choose between Black British and Afro-Caribbean, but I'm both, but I have to choose one, right? And so it, you know, it's almost as if filling out those forms begs you to sit down and have a conversation with yourself about who you may feel that you are, or maybe what's best for me to tick this time around, you know? Maybe if I'm applying for funding and it's more about being Black British than Caribbean, then let me check Black British this time around instead of Caribbean, you know? And when it comes to even, you know, how I identify gender-wise, you know, I, I do identify as a woman, as a girl, female, whatever. And then when it comes to the questions on sexuality, you know, I may be rethinking that. <laughs> I may be rethinking that today. So I may take other today, actually. So whatever. So in terms of how useful they are, I don't really find them useful to me personally, but I think statistically for those that are creating them and maybe for whatever purpose, they might serve some use. Maybe, I don't know. I just, yeah, I just, you know, I don't want to swear on your podcast, so uh, I'll, uh, I'll refrain from being my sailor. This is a safe space, Chantal. You can do yes, whatever you want. Please do. Um, I think it's a load of shite. So, yeah. Thank you, Chantal. We always, we had our conversations as well about, like, what are they useful for and are they only useful to collect data as mm. organizations and charities and even the government need to act on this data. They need to kind of be able to be, like, all right, we have maybe that amount and from mm -hmm. these communities, maybe we can use this to know how we can approach this community further. But I just wanted to ask, do you then think is it really important to explore your ethnic identities and how does it affect your sense of belonging? And just like, what is a diaspora for our listeners that do not know what it is? It really depends where you're from, doesn't it? Because some people pronounce it diaspora and some diaspora but my understanding of diaspora is almost it's it's like a it's like a a seed or a flower dispersing right 
And so you have the, the original stem and it's being pollinated. And then maybe a bee comes along and the seeds and it's taken all over and, and little bits of seeds are, are dropped here and here and there and there. So geographically for me, diaspora relates to how a particular ethnic group has migrated geographically. Um, they have their roots, but they're taken sometimes or choose to move elsewhere. And diaspora refers to, to the ones that are elsewhere and not necessarily home, but elsewhere, but still through the way that they identify culturally. Um, they're part of a bigger diaspora or diaspora. So I do consider myself of the Caribbean diaspora and also of the African diaspora, which, you know, I can be both duality. That was so beautiful the way you explained it, Shata. It was so poetic. <laughs> wow. So yes, thank you so much, Chantal, for explaining what it is, not just for me and JC, but also for other listeners. From your experience, is it important to explore your ethnic identity? And is it important to you? And how does it affect your sense of belonging? Mm. Personally, I, I definitely feel that it's important to explore your ethnic identity. Um, my ethnic identity and knowing and understanding and appreciating everything that makes me who I am has helped me almost, I wanna say stay sane, but am I ever really sane? But it's, it's really, it's, it gives me a grounding. It offers me a grounding um, and a rooting that oftentimes helps me through some very turbulent times. You know, it's, it's given me the safety, the support, and the comfort that we all need as humans to navigate, you know, this world of, of you know, plot twists after plot twists, especially, you know, globally, we've all been going through the last almost two years now of a pandemic, which doesn't really seem to be ending anytime soon. And the ache that I feel of not being able to physically be with my friends and family in the Caribbean, the only thing that soothes that is that I am able to connect with my community here, you know, and, and, you know, that comfort in sharing stories and sharing experiences and resources comes from me having a clear understanding of where I identify ethnically. And it's a comfort that I've really leaned into over the last two years, you know, that, that relatable experience that common thread that understanding that that ties us all together in this huge like patchwork of who we are and where we are but it's the common thread that provides me with the the the, the safety and the support that I crave and without that I think you know to add to everything else that's going on to the the feeling of being so untethered and not having that to balance, you know, the, 
the turmoil and the, the constant crashing of the big waves of 2020 and 2021, I don't really know where I'd be without that community. And I've, I only know that community because I know myself. Most, most definitely. And I think that people who really don't um, experience uh, displacement, like um, people who live in the diaspora uh, experience, can really understand why it is so important to feel safe, to feel safe when you live in a place that is not um, a place that is your own. And um, throughout these last years, as you mentioned, it has been, really become mainstream, all these conversations about identity, but it's not that they didn't exist before. I think that this is, these are things that have always been experienced or have always been spoken. They just became mainstream, be it because of the internet probably in the last uh, couple of decades or because of the events that we have experienced over the last few years that have sort of like a, a, a intensified the message. Do you also feel that this exploration of identity has changed throughout different generations? Yeah, I mean, especially in the last, I, you know, and I'm going to say this, a lot of people have conversations and discussions surrounding millennials. And oftentimes those conversations are not the most positive. And I actually, I think people are missing out because when I look at millennials and even the generation after millennials and how vocal and empowering the work is that they're doing, you know, their, their autonomy and not depending on other people to tell their stories and to fill them up. And really, you know, some people, you know, may have a different perspective, but I am very grateful to the work that, and it was the generation after millennials. What, what the is The generation Z. Is it Z? I love them. I love them and have so much respect for their fire. You know, if we look at the uprisings that took place last year, who was leading? Who were leading the uprisings? Who were leading the stories? Who, you know, they're not waiting for mainstream media to tell their stories. They're creating their own. They're creating content, which is, yes, sometimes entertain, entertaining, sometimes not, <laughs> but very powerful and impactful. And so I do feel an immense amount of gratitude to certain generations for doing necessary work and for continuing necessary work, because that work, of course, was started many, many decades ago by generations before. But what I'm seeing is, is a fresh fire and spirit and bold, a boldness perhaps in how things approach that maybe it's a different approach to, to the 60s and the 70s, you know, and not to negate that powerful work in those decades because I wouldn't be here without the work of, you know, my father and those before me and my ancestors, but I absolutely, as traumatic as the now is, it's also so powerful, you know, lots of shifts, And, and, you know, lots have been held accountable. My generation is, is being held accountable. And I sit where I don't even, apparently I, I sit on the cusp of two generations. So. 
<laughs> yeah, they call us the um, geriatric millennials or something okay, like that. Yeah, like, oh, geriatric? Like, damn, okay. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> I completely agree with you, Chantal, whatever, what, all of what you said, actually, about how this generation is, I see, I see it, the generation is bolder. They're bolder in actually owning up to their own identity, their own struggle, the struggles of their parents or the, uh, the grandparents and the other um, communities as well. Mm. Um, yeah, completely, completely see that. And hopefully that more and more upcoming generation will become more and more bolder to end up. Yeah, <laughs> and, social yeah and influence the older generations because, you know, influence goes both ways. You know, you don't have to be younger to be influenced in a good way by someone. You know, you don't have to be younger to appreciate the work of a generation that's coming up behind you and to be motivated and inspired by them because we can still do shit too. My generation can still, we still have a voice. So it's not that we're going to disappear, you know, but let's hold space for each other. And so for me, those intergenerational conversations and dynamics become even more important, especially when we're speaking about issues surrounding ethnicity, identity, and race. Of course, of course, it is all about how we can work together to make this a better word for all of us. And intergenerational is so important. Definitely. Like you mentioned, you learn from each other. It's not just one teaching another, but it's you learn from each other. Um, so we live in, in a diaspora because we or our families come from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Is our identity the same as the one from people who did not leave their hometown? No, it, it, it can't be because we're having different life experiences. But that's not to say that we don't have very strong similarities. You know, I can't, you know, I haven't lived in the Caribbean, you know, consistently for 20 years. And so as passionate as I am about issues coming out of the Caribbean, be it political issues, environmental, you know, even issues on, on gender and sexuality, all these things. I'm very passionate and I'm an advocate for wellness and all these things, but I'm not there. So I can't speak for those that are there, but I can certainly, you know, facilitate experiences that include both, you know, those that dwell and those that dwell elsewhere. And that's important as well. Um, and as you said, Sandy, you know, the exchange is important. And, the, and the, the, the respect both ways is also important. So, you know, you know, because you have never left and you're seeing people in the diaspora, it doesn't mean that their identity and ethnicity are, any, are watered down because they're not geographically placed in that region that doesn't water down who they are. It just means that you're having a different experience of being Caribbean or being, you know, a La Latino or African or European or whatever your ethnicity and, and identity is. Most definitely, uh, Chantal. Um, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I, I, it's so beautiful that you are trying to create these spaces where all these conversations are happening between people who are still in their hometowns and people who, who have left. Um, and the main question surrounding today's episode is for those of us who live in the diaspora, how do you think that we can manage to keep our identity? That is a really important question. And 
you know, it's funny. I, I often, I have felt in the past that almost there's this beautiful documentary by a Trinidadian filmmaker, um, Karen Martinez, and it's called Dreams in Transition. And I remember when she was making the film, we spoke about it because I'm a huge fan of Karen's work and I've screened a few of her films leading up to Dreams in Transition. And it is about the diaspora and feeling that you're constantly in transition. So when you're where you have moved to, you don't feel quite at home, but yet when you're at home, you don't feel quite rooted there anymore. So you're in this constant state of being in transition. And this is why, I guess, for me, this sense of belonging, it's, it's important to, to do the work in understanding who you are so that when you are in these situations, it doesn't shake you as much as it, as it could. You know, being separated geographically not being on that that land that you know for sure you belong you know that being not being there doesn't make you feel any less or any that you you don't have a right to claim that particular identity and and heritage and ethnicity and and so that's why i hugely believe in doing the work in understanding who you are and incorporating as many of, of your, your traditions culturally, you know, into your everyday life and being proud of it, being absolutely proud of it and also speaking about it to others outside of your community so that they develop an interest in who you are because who I am includes my food and my music and my cultural practices and my cultural rituals all of these things. And just because I'm here, you know, in England and I've, I've lived in the States as well, doesn't mean that I am of England and that I am of the United States. Who I am doesn't change depending on my geographical location. Um, so that's, yeah, that's how I feel. And that's why I think it's important to really not be afraid and ashamed also. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love, I love um, the words of that um, documentary um, filmmaker that you mentioned mm -hmm. about um, transition because that's exactly how it feels. And also, I want to add to the words that you just said that dreams in transit, or oh, was it transition? Okay, COVID brain, but still, <laughs> the sentiment is the same. <laughs> and I wanted to add also to the words that you said that. Also, it is important not to succumb to the expectations that others, the other, others have of how our identities should look like. Our identities, like you said before, are, um, uh, are, based, are based on the experiences that we had before we left home and then all the experiences that we have lived you know, throughout, throughout all these journeys that yeah. we have taken. And there is not just one way of living that identity. This is very personal. And yeah. I think that that is why it makes it so important, as you said, um, to explore it. It is extremely, you know, because we also have our family traditions and our family culture that plays into that as well, that adds other layers to, to who we are and how we identify. 
Um, and I, I feel that really embracing that is probably one of the most beautiful things that any human can do for themselves. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I think I've, I felt this answer the most because it's something that me and JC always talk about, that sense of belonging and like even growing up, where do I belong? Do I belong in the UK? Do I belong in Egypt? Where is it? And do I really fit in? And that's like, it's literally what you're saying, it's starting to having that healing process, but also identifying who I am within myself first and how I'm like to be identified as who I am before the word identify me. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's completely agree with what you're saying. I know that earlier you were mentioned about um, due to COVID and like how the community has like really helped you in, in terms of like, obviously not being, being far away from the land that you go home. So I wanted to ask you, how are individuals empowered by keeping their connection to their ethnic and cultural background alive? And is it okay if they don't want to keep these connections anymore? Wow, I think I'm actually gonna answer the second part of that question first. Um, Yes, it's okay if you don't want to keep a connection to, to that experience anymore because your experience may have been very traumatic. And so who am I to say, well, you were born and raised in the Caribbean or you have a Caribbean family, you know, how can you turn your back on us culturally when I don't know that individual's experiences, you know? And so it's not for me to say you have to or you must. I do believe that innately there are some things that will just transcend your um, logical choice, right? Your, and actually come from a much deeper place of spirit and heart and energy. So it's, you know, you can't get away from yourself. You are who you are, right? Wherever you go, there you are. And, and you show up and may have made a choice that I, I, I'm choosing not to identify as Jamaican. Um, for whatever reasons, on a vision or Antiguan or St. Lucian or whatever it is, whichever island. But you know what? The subconscious is very powerful. And so there may have been experiences that were maybe a little bit of light amongst whatever trauma you, you had during your life that you just take forward with you. You may not even notice that some of them are so small. Like you, you, may, you may like the hot sauce. <laughs> In your food, you know, you know, you may like Bitty McLean, you know, as a musician, but just listen to rock, you know, or whatever it is, or, alter- or what people consider to be alternative music outside of that. Or maybe even in, you know, your particular leaning to particular colors, you know? So, yes, there will always be something, a little something. But if holistically you are saying, I am okay with not connecting to my culture on this level because these were my experiences, then that is absolutely not for me to say, number one, that you're a sellout. I hate that term, you know? Number two, oh, well then, you know, you're just pretending to be someone that you're not. That is not the case at all. Of course, there are people, Rachel Dozel comes to mind, who, you know, definitely know, no girl, <laughs> <laughs> <Just> no. 
<laughs> and also, I love it that when you said before about how people coming from the Caribbean are, have so many mixed backgrounds. Also, this is something that we see in Latin America and all over the planet. There are very strong connections within the countries and the cultures in the Caribbean, also in the countries that are around the Caribbean. You and I have a strong connection. I'm from Panama and we have a Caribbean coast. So I have a strong connection with you and yeah. the rest of the Caribbean because of that. And it's something that it wouldn't be logical for someone who doesn't know geography or the history of my country. And um, because of those mixed backgrounds, I may choose to identify as one part of my mixed background and not the other. And yeah. that is perfectly fine as well. So I love it that you said that. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely someone's choice, you know, to take what they want to take from their story because it's their story and not ours. How are individuals empowered by keeping those connections to their ethnic and cultural background alive? You know, I mean, I was traveling through Bali with a friend of mine a few years ago and we showed up. This is a perfect example, right? We're in Bali, far, far, far from the Caribbean, far from England. And we're these two island girls and we show up for this yoga class at this beautiful space that we had Googled many times over, you know, it had been featured in Vogue as the best place to go for yoga and plant. I mean, where we were staying in Ubud, you know, most of the food was plant-based anyway, but yeah, right? So we show up for this yoga class and, you know, we're two of the only black girls in the class <laughs> and we're there, but still feeling very peaceful and we're closing our eyes on the mat. And then the yoga instructor enters, our eyes are still closed and just hear the yoga instructor introduce herself. Hello everybody, my name is Nadine and I am your, listen, my eyes flew open and my heart just was like surrounded in happiness to hear this thick Jamaican accent all the way in this tiny town, city, Ubud in Bali. My yoga, my first yoga experience in Bali was with a Jamaican woman. And when I say that home didn't feel that far away, just on hearing that accent, and I opened my eyes and there is this beautiful black Jamaican woman instructing me on my yoga and so for me to be able to have that comfort and that safety miles away from home miles but immediately just feel safe because of that for me that's the importance right there of of, of having that sense of understanding and belonging and knowing of who I am because I can be anywhere in the world and one thing can make me feel safe and be it an accent, the sighting of a flag. Do you know how exciting it is to be in Iceland and see a Bayesian flag? It's like, what? Ah, yes. <laughs> you know, and that sense of happiness, it's profound. It's actually, and it's on a cellular, it's on a deep cellular level that I can be at the North Pole, spot a Trini flag, you know, and be like, oh, okay, yeah, man, we're good. I belong here. It's all good. That and it's so interesting. It's so beautiful. That, that insurance is, is, is priceless. It's it absolutely is priceless. priceless. 
it is so interesting and so beautiful that that accent gave you such a sense of protection. Immediately. Immediately. I love that. Thank you so much, um, Chantal, for joining us today in this beautiful conversation about keeping identity in the diaspora and also for sharing, sharing all your experiences uh, with us today. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much, that. Chantal. Thank you, guys. And I love the work that you're both doing. It's every time I see something pop up, it's like my, my cheeks hurt from grinning so much. It's not just necessary, but it's beautifully done because, you know, work can be really hard. <laughs> work can be really work on yourself, work for your community, work in general can be really hard. And so to approach such essential work in, in such nurturing and beautiful ways, I think not only is a way forward, but is integral in in sharing our stories and in the healing of our community. So thank you. Oh, thank, thank you so much for this amazing word that, that touches our hearts so much. And it's with such a pleasure talking to you and hearing all about the amazing stories and your lived experience as well. So lovely. And his dreams in transit. <laughs> Aaron, I love you. I give my, my COVID brain fog. <laughs> This has been Ava Checkbox, a 10-episode podcast exploring London's other ethnic identities. I'm Sandy Abdurrahman. And I'm Jason Kalanidou. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for a different episode each month.